Over the past several weeks, we've been studying the life of Abram. Abram. He's not quite Abraham yet. He's still Abram, but he's going to be Abraham uh, very, very soon here. And we've, we've seen how God called him and chose him to be his recipient of grace and favor. Which really, when you think about it, it's a pretty big deal. When God, the God of heaven, picks you to be someone to show his favor and his grace toward. Now, we on this side of the cross realize God's now done that for all of us. And it's an amazing thing. But Abram was, had a very unique situation in history, a, a, a unique circumstance, because God chose to make a covenant We've talked about this word covenant. That means a a sacred bond between two parties. God made this covenant with Abram. And that covenant, as we've also learned, included two things. You might remember what those two things are. It, it, It included a people and it included a place. The covenant that God made with Abram was a people his, his offspring that would become the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, and a place that those people would be given the land of Canaan and that they would then move into that land and fill that land to become a nation set apart for God. Right? And that's the promise that God made to Abram. He said, I'm going to give you a people and I'm going to give you a place. All right? And today, we're going to see Abram and his family take steps toward that covenant fulfillment, that covenant happening, all right? But what we're also going to see here today, and, and in this chapter uniquely, we get to see it, Abram and his family don't always take the straightest path to get to where they're going. Does anybody else look back at their own lives and say, yeah, that's kind of me too, <laughs> I I might have this vision, this direction, this big goal in life of where I want to go, or if we want to spiritualize it, say, I've got this idea, I've got this place that I know God wants me to go, but a lot of times we don't take the most direct route to get there. In fact, what we're going to see here, instead of a direct route, we're going to see some of what I'm calling today sidesteps and shortcuts, all right? Sidesteps, they're stepping around things, and shortcuts, Um, And it's part of their story. It's part of their journey. So let's take a look here, and I think that you'll see pretty quickly what I mean. We're in Genesis chapter 16. Let's read the first six verses together. Here's what it says. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. 
But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. All right, that's where we're starting here today. Fun, fun stuff to have to look at here in Scripture here today. So let's, let's recap a little bit of, of what's going on. After God made this covenant with Abram, and we saw that a couple chapters ago, and there was this whole ceremony that happened where Abram went and killed these animals, and there was this, this path between these two halves of these animals that God passes through with this, this burning, smoking pot and, and cooks these, these sacrifices, and he, he performs this interesting ceremony that's happening. But we also remember that what happened after that was God, I told you, called Abram outside, and they went outside, and he said, Abram, I want to describe to you what this covenant is going to be like. I want to describe to you what this this promise is going to be like. Because even after God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Abram's kind of down in the dumps. And he's like, oh, well, you know, yeah, God's on my side, supposedly, but I don't even have an offspring. I have no son. I have no heir. In fact, it's going to be one of my servants that's going to, you know, leave my legacy behind. And God calls Abram outside, and he says, no, no, Abram. And remember what he does? He says, look up into the sky. Look at all these stars. He's out there in a night sky, and he sees all these stars. And God says to him, just like all these stars in the heaven, that's what your offspring's going to be like. And it's going to come from your own body. This isn't going to be uh, anybody but your own children. And that blows Abram away. And, and I imagine that as Abram then goes home and shares this with his wife Sarai, I've got a feeling that, uh, and this is just me guessing, but I think Abram probably tried to do the same thing. He's like, all right, that really impacted me. Sarah, I got a, I've got a plan. Come on outside with me. And he's got his arm around Sarah, and he takes her out, outside, and he says, God told me something amazing that I want to share with you. And Sarah's like, whoa, okay, this is, this is good. Let's, let's hear this. And he's like, now how did he say it? Look at the stars. And Sarah's like, okay. And he's like, now wait. He said, oh, count them. Can you count the stars? And she's like, no, Abram, there's a lot of stars out here. He's like, well, well, that's how many kids we're going to have. And Sarah's like, huh? I don't get this. All right? Either way, he's like, well, trust me, it was good. All right? And so Sarai, she, she embraces this too. And she's like, okay, this is exciting. This is a promise from God. Abram has heard God in the past, and, and God's done some radical things, so this is a big deal. But the problem is, well, there is a problem here, and the problem is, Sarai couldn't have kids. She knew she couldn't have kids. And while the idea of being a mother of a great nation might have seemed exciting, the reality of their situation hit home really fast. Because she's like, okay, well, that's great and all, Abram, but you and I both know I can't have kids. So where does that leave us? And here's what happens. Sarai did what many of us do when a goal is out of our reach. And in this case, it was an honorable goal. This was a God-given goal. This was something that God had promised that said was going to happen. So Sarai is trying to figure out, well, how is God going to pull this off? I don't know. I don't see a path. Maybe this is a path. Maybe this is possible. Because 
The, the, the possibility of her having kids, she knew wasn't going to happen. That was not in the realm of possibility. It was another impossible situation. But as we've been studying the life of Abram and Sarai, we realize this is not the first impossible situation that they've come up against. In fact, I can think of three right off the top of my head. Remember when they were first had to go to Egypt because of the famine? And Abram did the stupidest husband move ever and said, tell everybody you're my sister because they're going to see that you're beautiful and they're going to try to kill me so they can take you. And then that all happens. And sure enough, she's beautiful. The Pharaoh, the, the leader of the entire nation of Egypt, finds out about this beautiful woman, takes her in as the wife. And they're trying to do this lying thing. And eventually it's like, okay, this is an impossible situation. But what does God do? He does a miracle. Not only do they live and, and get released, actually kicked out of Egypt. Pharaoh, instead of just killing Abram for lying to him, says, look, take your wife, take all the stuff that we've given you here as gifts for your wife, and go, leave. And so Abram and Sarai then leave Egypt loaded with wealth and honor. It's, it was a total impossible situation, but they made it out. And then we, we saw another story, an impossibility. Abram's nephew, Lot, gets kidnapped in a, in a, a battle. These, these armies come down and they wipe out all this, this territory and they take Lot and all the rest of his household and they go north. And what does Abram do? With 318 men in the middle of the night, they hike 120 miles, not in one day, but they, they hike 120 miles and then fight an army and win and get Lot and all of the, the people and bring it all back. Impossible. Another impossible situation. Well, now we have another one to add to the list. Here it is. Get pregnant after menopause at age 75. <laughs> okay, impossible. You guys don't even have to know a whole lot about biology to know it's impossible. But instead of waiting on God or even asking God what his plan was, Sarai looked for a shortcut. She looked for a workaround. She looked for a way to kind of sidestep the problem. Now, as I've become a little more self-aware about uh, who I am as a person, I realize this is one of the flaws of my personality. I'm a shortcutter. Is anyone else in here willing to say they're a shortcutter? We got one more. There's a couple. There's a couple of us. We like shortcuts. We look for shortcuts. Now, the thing about that, and, and yes, it was the Enneagram that helped me discover this about myself. If you guys know what that is, it's a personality tool. Um, but I, I tend to lean toward shortcuts. I, I, will, I will try to find that. And, and so I have to watch myself. My wife and close friends have to keep an eye on me too. Because here's the thing about shortcuts. This is what I want you to understand about this. In most things that matter, there are no real shortcuts. Okay, shortcutter in the back, that's for you and me. In most things that matter, there are no real shortcuts. If there were, those things wouldn't be considered a shortcut, right? If there was a shorter path to, to do it the right way, it'd just be known as a shorter path. It just wouldn't take as long to get to this particular thing. There are no real shortcuts. This is especially true when we're talking about God's work. Because here's what we have to understand. God knows what he's doing. And you will not improve his plan. Let me say that one again. God knows what he's doing, and you will not 
improve his plan. If he's inefficient, it's on purpose. If he's slow, it's because it's supposed to be slow. You can't help him speed up the process. Most of the time, what happens is our shortcuts actually just end up as detours that get us lost and off track and actually slow down the process instead of speeding it up. It's hard for us to get that in our heads, but that's exactly what we're going to see here today. We need to learn to wait on the Lord. Sarai meant well when she started this whole, you know, plan brewing in her head. In fact, he's been here for 10 years, it says in Canaan, before they actually go through with this crazy plan. God had already said this is what's supposed to happen. And Sarah's like, okay, let's figure out this. Let's, how's this going to work? A day goes by, a week goes by, a month goes by, a year goes by, two years, five years, 10 years. Sarah's like, okay, I, I believe in the promise and all, but come on. How much longer? I'm getting old here. It's 75 at this point, and I'm still going. When is this going to happen? But we're called to wait on him. And I know you might say, but I've already been waiting. Wait longer and trust in him. So what does Sarai do? She suggests a surrogate. She suggests another woman to carry the child on her behalf. Now, this arrangement might seem a little strange to you as you read this here this morning, but, but that kind of a thing is, is actually well documented in both Mesopotamian and Egyptian cultures of the time. All right? So this wasn't a new idea with Sarai. But that still doesn't mean it was a good idea. Okay? Hagar became a wife in some sense, but was still viewed as a servant by both Sarai and Abram. And then when she gets pregnant, she believed that she was not only on equal footing with Sarai, but was now superior to her. And then she begins to look down on Sarai. And when she does that, a serious marriage dispute broke out. Should we be surprised? No. <laughs> no, we shouldn't. Look, I mean, we see this all the way back here in, in the, the first book of the Bible. Marriage, we looked at this with Adam and Eve, and we've looked at it in a few other places too throughout Genesis already. Marriage was designed to be between one man and one woman. And I've told you over and over, I'll tell you your whole lives as long as you listen to me, sin is anything that breaks relationship between your, you and God or you and others. That's what sin is. And if you try to add another person into a marriage relationship, it will break relationship. And it is sin. That's how we know things like polygamy and open marriages and etc. How those things are sin because they're going to break relationship. It's, it's built into it that way. And all of us have experienced, whether it's firsthand or secondhand, we've experienced broken marriages. And we know the pain and the sorrow that's involved in that. All right, so, so Abram and Sarai and Hagar, they have a serious problem on their hands. I mean, imagine for a moment, if you were trying to live with both your spouse and your ex. Yeah, <laughs> that's not going to go well, right? And this was a really hard spot for everyone involved. Now, I think this is the lowest moral point in the scripture 
the scriptural story of Abram and Sarai's lives. This is the bottom here, guys. I don't, I don't know how it got any worse. They're at a low spot right here. They're in a really tough place. They made a mess of things, and it's all here for us to see. But I also want you to watch for something, because God is going to redeem things, okay? He's going to redeem, redeem things. There will still be consequences for all of the sin. Sin, that's the way it works. God is always here to restore. He's always here to rebuild. He's ready to pour out mercy and grace and build you back up. But that doesn't mean that it'll necessarily wipe away all of the consequences because sin is real. Consequences are real. But God's going to redeem some things. Now, I also feel like I ought to address the other cultural piece that's very foreign to us here. We live in a culture where, where generally people are given the opportunity to choose their spouses. Okay, I don't know for certain that any of you were part of an arranged marriage. And I know there are parts of the world here still today that that's the way it is. You go to India and some of these other places, marriages are arranged marriages. But in this time period, women were usually given in arranged marriages with little or no input in the decision. Hagar was most likely acquired by Abram from the Pharaoh of Egypt when they were back in Egypt. And she was a slave and would have had even less of a say in who she would marry or if she could even marry. And just to be very clear, because sometimes there's people that have questions about that as they read the Old Testament. They're like, well, did God say slavery is okay? Or did he condone it because there's, there's directions to slaves and masters? And No, all right? No, slavery is not right in any form Slavery of every type is sin. It's not condoned or encouraged by God ever. It was simply the custom of this culture. All right? That's the situation that they were in. All right. I also want you to see that Sarah is not the only one responsible for taking a few sidesteps here. Because in verse 6, when we see what Abram's uh, response is there to her, we realize that he's actually taking a bit of a sidestep himself. In, in this culture, the oldest male in the house was the undisputed head of the household. It was what we would call a patriarchal society. And the, the oldest one in that tribal community, that, that household, that group, was the absolute authority. And so as things would escalate between people, and remember, Abram and his household are a large number of people at this point. So people have a dispute, they have an argument amongst each other, they keep working it up the tree, but at the top of the, the, the authority hierarchy in this, this family, in this culture, it's Abram. He's the final say. And so with Sarai, what she does here is, is she's actually, it's not a surprise that she goes to him demanding justice. So she comes to him and says, look, this deal with Hagar and what's going on or her looking down on me and all this, this isn't right. You need to do something about it. But what does Abram do? Instead of trying to sort things out and reconcile it and work through it, what does he do? He just sidesteps the problem. Huh. All right, she's yours. You deal with it. That's basically what he says. She's in your power. I'm giving you the authority. I'm passing it back to you. You take care of it the way you want to take care of it. He was shirking his authority. 
And unfortunately, he said, do whatever you please with her. And what did she do? It tells us there in verse 6, she dealt harshly with her. Now, was this physical abuse? Was this verbal? We don't know. All we know is that it was clearly wrong. It was wrong. So Abram and Sarai are both in sin, and Hagar fled. All right? Now, let's move on. Verse 7 tells us this. So Hagar has fled, and it says, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Be'er Lahai Roi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Hagar was put in a really terrible place. And so she fled. And if you can, try to put yourself in her sandals for a moment. Where was it that she planned to go? What was she going to do? No idea. She didn't know where she was going to go. It just wasn't going to be there. Egypt was nearly 500 miles away. Was her plan to go back to where she had been a slave in Egypt, which was where she was born, where she was originally from? What's she going to do? Walk across the desert by herself? I mean, she headed sort of roughly in that direction. That's where this well of sure is. It's kind of to the south in that way. She didn't know where to go, just not there. So think about it. Here she's in this foreign land. She's running away from the people that have authority over her. She's pregnant. She doesn't know how to get home, doesn't know what she'd do even if she got there. She had to feel incredibly alone and afraid. She didn't sign up for this. This isn't how she wanted her life to go. She didn't have any options. She didn't have any directions. She wandered into the wilderness, and luckily she found a spring of water. And so as she's trying to figure out what's happening next, this angel appears. Now, I do want you to know, and this is the way it is a lot of times in Scripture, we, we sometimes get so locked into wanting to know exactly what the Word says, which is always very important, that we sometimes forget that most of these conversations that God has with people, most of these relationships that are going on here, it's condensed, 
right? This is just a quick written account. So we don't know all that happened, transpired between this angel and Hagar. We don't know if this was a two-hour meeting where there was a lot of dialogue going on. All we get is the highlights, the few little pieces of information that come out of it. But I still, even in the little that we have in these few verses here, I still want you to see that the command that the angel gives is both difficult and comforting. All right? It's difficult and it's comforting. But we don't like that. We don't want difficult and comforting. We want easy and comforting. That's how we want God to speak to us. We want God to give us the shortcut. We want us to give us the, the, the VIP treatment. We want to be walked around the barriers. We want him to remove the obstacles. We want to make it easy and comfortable and good. That's what we look for. That's what I'm signing up for. But that's not what Hagar gets. She gets a message that is difficult and comforting. And he tells her that the best place for her to be is actually back where she was. She's told to go back and endure a hard situation. It's also difficult. That's a difficult word because I don't know if you noticed it or not, but it describes who her son is going to be. And I'll just tell you right now, when it describes somebody as a wild donkey, (laughs) um, we've got some other words for that that work a little better, give you a little better feel, a little better vibe than wild donkey. This person is not the sort of person that you want to hang out with. You certainly don't want to be related to them. Um, This is the sort of person that is is not doing things the way that, that you would hope that they would do it. He's always going to be at odds with others, even his own family. Now, side note here, just for you to know, the Muslim faith traces their heritage back to Ishmael, the son of Hagar. So Ishmael is going to be strong. He's going to father 12 princes, actually, just like we'll see the 12 um, in Israel. He's going to father 12 princes. He'll be strong, but he will cause a great deal of pain in the world. And there's one side of Hagar hearing that, that she's like, well, at least he's going to thrive and he's going to be all right. <laughs> that part's good. He's going to be strong. He's going to survive. Here, I'm not even sure if I'm going to live. But then there's the other part of it, the difficult part, that is just this guy is going to be a donkey. Now, you might think, all right, so, so the angel comes to Tagar and says, all right, I want you to go back. I want you to go back here to, to Sarai and back here to that family. And you might say, well, hold on. Isn't God for the oppressed and the exploited? How is it that God, a God of mercy, a God of love, a God who's taking care of people, how would he send this woman, this poor exploited woman, back into that situation? Why why is that? Why is that happening? Isn't God for the oppressed and exploited? Well, the answer, the short answer to that is yes. Yes. God is for the exploited. God is for the innocent, the oppressed. He's for the widows. He's for the orphans. That is actually why he even appeared to Hagar. He is for her. The best place for Hagar and her unborn son was actually back at the camp with this angry mistress. Now, that's hard, but that's true. And that's what we see here. And the angel, speaking for God, said more. He told her that he would look out for her. 
and that her offspring would be incredibly multiplied. It's, it's actually very similar to what he says to Abram about your offspring is going to multiply. And it's going to be numerous. He says the same thing to Hagar. For Hagar, in the desert of a foreign land, as a pregnant, escaped slave, the main thing in her mind was the question of survival. The thing that she's thinking about as she's out there in the wilderness by this spring is, am I going to make it? Am I even going to survive? That question would have drowned out all the others. And that is exactly the question that God answers. Will you survive? Yes. And not only that, you and your offspring are going to thrive. And this answer from God, pay attention here, this answer from God causes Hagar to both praise God and obey. She returns. She goes back. No shortcuts here. No sidestepping. You just got to face it head on. And I promise you that when Hagar went back to the camp, it wasn't that Sarai was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I should have never done that. Please come back in. I don't think that's what she, she dealt with. She was headed back into a difficult place and she knew it. Verse 13, though, explains why. Look at that verse again. So she called, the name of the, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. That, uh, that, that weird name there, Be'er Lahai Roi, uh, literally means the living, the well of the living one who sees me. The living one who sees me. This was, was Hagar's heart. She knew that God was looking out for her. Does anybody else need to hear that today? That God is looking out for you? I think that's a, a, a powerful thing for us to, to know, especially if we're finding ourselves in a diff difficult place right now. Here's a couple verses from scripture that reinforce that. Psalm 145, 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. James 4, 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. You know, most people believe that there's a God who exists. I used to not think that way. I used to think, oh, most people don't even believe that there is a God. Well, I'm not, I didn't say most people believe that, that Jesus is God or that the Jesus of the Christian faith, the, the, the one that we follow is God. Yeah, we can have, there's, there's a big gap there. But most people generally think there's some God. There's some higher power. There's something beyond our existence. They may not be able to explain it or, or frame it up or talk about it, but most people believe there's, there's something. The hard part is believing that this God actually wants to be known by us and that he not only tolerates us, but loves us. That's a different step. To believe that there's a God who loves us, a God who cares for us, a God who wants to have a relationship with us, that's a whole different level. And one of the main themes that, that, that we're studying as we go through Genesis, from actually from day one when we started Genesis, I told you, one of the things that we're going to learn through Genesis is about the nature and character of God. Genesis, through these stories, shows us who God is. 
And as we look at this story, we see a character a trait of God. We see an aspect of God. God is a God who pursues relationship with us. He pursues relationship with us. Just as he came into the garden after Adam and Eve sinned. You remember that part of the story? They, they sin and then they go hide. But guess what? God comes looking for them. He calls them out. Hey, where are you? I'm looking for you. Come here, let's talk about this. What's happened? What's going on? He pursues them. And just in that same way, here he comes to Hagar. Hagar, where are you? Where are you going? What are you doing? Hagar, I'm here. I've got a plan for you. And God pursues all who are made in his image. But we do the same thing that they do. We tend to run and we tend to hide from God, especially when we're aware of our sin. Anybody ever done that before? You do something that you're like, that is straight up sin. I don't have a question about this one. (laughs) Well, I don't want to talk to God about it. (laughs) Maybe in a couple weeks, I'm going to let this one cool down. I'm going to let, you know, I'm sure he's busy anyway. I'm just going to, you know, put this in the back pocket. I'll come back to it later and then we'll talk. That's what we do. We naturally want to, I don't want to deal with that. It was bad. I just want to put it behind me. I want to forget about it. I want to ignore it. That's that's what we do. We tend to run and hide from God. But it's at precisely those moments that we need him the most. Guys, when you blow it, when you sin, the best place for you to be is immediately with God. To get rid of that, to let him take it away, to let him put you back on track where you need to be. Otherwise, these things drag on and on and on. And, and, and sin is, is like lies, which are also sins. You know how a small lie leads to another lie and another lie and a bigger lie and it keeps the snowball effect happens? That's what sin is like in our lives. The longer we let it sit and fester, the worse it becomes. But unlike us, God comes closer to us when things are dangerous and painful. His instincts are opposite to ours. When things get bad, when things get rough, what do we want to do? Let's go hide. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that you're having a hard day. Talk to you next week. Oh, you want to deal with this? Do you want to struggle with that? I'd rather just stay away from that. That's not God's instinct. God's like, oh, you're hurting? You need help? There's pain in your life? There's suffering? You're dealing with sin? Let's let's do this. Let's get close. Let's let's talk about this. God moves toward us. He meets us in the weak places. And we're mistaken when we think that God doesn't hear us in the hardest places of life. And a lot of people, myself included, have had times where we make that mistake. We think, man, this is as bad as it gets, and God's nowhere to be found. That's wrong. He does see you. He does love you. In fact, what we see about God is that he is weeping with you. He's feeling the pain that you feel. He suffers when you suffer. Now, there will still be a lot of things that we do not have answers for in this life. And there will be a lot of times where you go through things and you're like, he can't be here with me. But he is. He is. Sin has wreaked havoc on this world. But know that God will be with you if you let him. Uh, in Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories that illitate, illustrate this, this uh, principle. We're not going to go, we don't have time to go there today, but these three stories that Jesus tells 
It's first about the lost sheep, and then there's the lost coin, and then there's the lost son. And the story, they're different stories, but all of the stories have the same message out of them. With the story of the lost sheep, only one, this, this, this shepherd has 100 sheep. 99 of them stay put where they're supposed to. But one gets lost. And what he, Jesus says is he says, uh, that shepherd, who's like the father, leaves the 99 where they're at to go find and rescue that one. And it says when he finds that one, picks him up, puts him on his shoulders, and comes back rejoicing and tells all of his friends, I found the lost sheep. And there's rejoicing in it. The second story of the lost coin. This woman has 10 coins and only 10 coins. She loses one inside of her house and is like, oh no, that's a tenth of my life savings. And so she, she goes all through the house and she's sweeping and cleaning and she's looking until she finally finds it. And when she finds it, what happens? She rejoices. Ah, the thing that was lost was found. I'm telling all my friends, my neighbors, I found it, guys, I found it. And there's rejoicing. And then the last one, the lost son or the story of the, the prodigal son. There's, there's a, a father who has two sons. One stays home, but one goes off down a dark, dark path. And there's pain in the father's heart. And every day the father is looking for and waiting for the return of that son. And when the son actually returns, what happens? Condemnation and attack and name calling and a lot of swearing. No, <laughs> it's the opposite. It's rejoicing. He brings him in. He puts his arm around him and clothes him and welcomes him back into the family. And there's rejoicing. And Jesus' point in all of this is he says, this is how the Father views you when you get lost. When you return, when you come back, there's rejoicing in heaven. Now, you may be carrying a lot of guilt and other things with you on your back when you come back with that. But from the Father's perspective, he's rejoicing over you. He's looking for us, especially in our weak places. So Hagar returned, but that didn't change her relationship with Sarai. They would be at odds with each other from that point forward. In chapter 20, we'll see that Hagar and Ishmael will be forced back to the wilderness. But again, God will see them and take care of them. So how do we, how do we finish here today? Where does this message find you? When you think about this and you think about this story and you think about what's going on, where does it find you? Have you been trying to maybe take some shortcuts in your life that have gotten you a bit lost? That could be where some of you are here today. Where you feel like, yeah, God's put a few things on my heart that I kind of don't want to deal with. And I'm going to keep kind of avoiding them and dodging them. Maybe it's something in your spiritual life that you've been ignoring. Maybe he's brought something difficult into your path that you've been trying to avoid. Maybe you're like Hagar, you're wandering in a spiritual desert and wondering if God even sees you. But if that's where you're at, God does see you. He does see you and he's calling you back to the path that he has for you. So if that's where you're at today, don't take any more shortcuts. No more sidestepping. Come to the Lord. If you need to repent of some things in your life, maybe there's some things in your life that you know this is not what God has for me. Then today is a day to do that very thing. He's right here waiting for you to repent and to get right with him. Or 
Maybe this message finds you today struggling with things in your past. As I was praying about this, I felt like maybe that might be where some people are at. Maybe you feel like God didn't see you or didn't see what happened to you somewhere in the past. But God even wants to meet you there in those places and heal that past and heal that pain that's in you. One day, the Bible tells us that he will wipe away every tear, every sorrow. But until then, he'll walk through it with us. The, the, the story of Emmanuel, God coming in the flesh, is a God that comes to be with us. And many of us spend way too many years of our life walking on our own, not walking with him, not experiencing him, not knowing him, not being led by him and guided by him. God wants to walk with you in your life, not just on Sunday mornings. Every day, in every experience, in every part of your life. And maybe for you today, it's just a matter of receiving his love and trusting him. Either way, let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word here today. And God, I, I know that uh, I'm, I'm not naive to think that everything is going great with every single person that's here today. <laughs> and God, we want to be people that are real before you. We want to come to church not just as people with a happy smile on our face because everything's great. We want to come to church as our genuine selves. And Lord, when we come to church, we want to meet with you. We want to encounter the living God. Lord, just as Hagar experienced you and she could say with, with confidence, the Lord has seen me. The Lord has his eye on me. Lord, I pray that every person here today would experience that same sense, a knowledge that you are here, that you are with us, that you are looking at us, you're paying attention to us. And God, I pray that, that as we come before you right now, as we are in your presence, that you'd allow us to respond in whatever way that you're drawing us to respond. I pray, God, if there are people here today that are, are, are not sure of their relationship with you. Maybe it's been a week where they have felt like they've, uh, they've stumbled, they've fallen, they've tripped up. Maybe this is more than a week. Maybe this is weeks, months. I pray that, that wherever they are today, Lord, that they would come to you. And if there's things in their heart that they need to repent from, to turn from, if they need to confess their sin to you, that today would be a day that they could do that very thing. Draw them to you right now where they're at. Allow them to begin just pouring out their hearts to you. Meet them in that place, Lord. You're pursuing them. You don't want them to stay in the pain and the suffering. You want to take those burdens. You want to take those cares. You want to meet them. So I ask that you would do that. And for others, Lord, maybe it's, it's just we need to receive your love today. And no matter where we find ourselves, we can always enjoy a greater experience of your love. You are the God of love. 
And I pray, Lord, that today our hearts would be filled to the brim and then overflowing with love. And Lord, we want that to be genuine love that comes from you. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would pour out your love on your people and allow us to receive it. Allow us to trust that you are with us. Do that healing work among us as a church. Lord, may that work then spill out to the community around us. Lord, we do want to pray for our community here this morning. We want to pray for all these homes that are all through here, all around us, all around this school property. So many people are surrounding us right now that don't know you, that aren't walking with you, that are in bondage to their sin, that are enslaved to their habits. For many of them, they have no hope. They have no concept of a God who's with us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would show us ways to minister to those people, to reach those people. We pray that you would draw those people here to this church and that we would be people that can love them to you. Lord, wherever we go as this week um, unfolds in front of us, Lord, we pray that we would be those people that are bringing the love and the light of Jesus. Start with our hearts and allow it to, to go out from there. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.